Welcome back. I'm Sarah Zubiata Bennett, and it's a pleasure to host the bi-weekly Dallas Express video podcast. In today's show, we're delving into the multifaceted life of Mark Melton, a partner at Holland & Knight, with experience in domestic and international taxation for a diverse clientele, including private equity, hedge funds, and real estate investment trusts. Additionally, Mark dedicates his time to the Dallas Eviction Advocacy Center as the board chair and co-founder. It's a venture led by his wife and CEO, Lauren Melton, which commits to providing pro bono legal support to tenants facing housing challenges. Our insightful discussion with Mark Melton will sag into a visit to the beloved Dallas Farmers Market, a place that resonates deeply with me as the birthplace of my previous enterprise, Zubies. It's a community hub that celebrates the dedication of farmers and artisans year round, and it offers a vibrant selection of food and shopping throughout the week, welcoming individuals from every sector of life. Well, Mark, I'm so happy you're with us today. Like I've told you, having you on here, a voice that's truly diverse, someone who's well known in the community and a champion for those who have struggled with homelessness specifically, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts today. So thank you for being here with us. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad yeah. to be here. Yes, yes. And you're not just a partner at Holland and Knight, but you also founded the Dallas Eviction Advocacy Center. Mm -hmm. Would you start by telling our viewers and listeners exactly what this advocacy center does? So it's a nonprofit law firm mm -hmm. and we've got 13 full-time employees at this point. And all we do is represent tenants in Dallas County facing eviction. Mm -hmm. And the problem that we're really trying to solve is the problem of unlawful eviction, not the notion of eviction itself. Because what we found in our work is that about 85% of the time that a tenant is evicted, they actually should have won. And when they have a lawyer, they do. And this is pro bono. This is all free. Yes, we don't all charge free. a dime. Mm -hmm. And what is it that inspired you or prompted you to start this? Well, like a lot of things in my life, it was pure accident. <laughs> Um, I just posted a social media post about an eviction moratorium early in the pandemic and that post went viral and I found myself spending 20 hours a day trying to respond to everyone's questions. I really thought this would be a short term project, mm -hmm. but after really getting in to see what's happening in the courts and what's happening to these people and who they are, I was just offended to my core um, at what I was seeing happening to the poorest people in our community. Um, and that's not to say that you shouldn't get evicted if you don't pay your rent. That's not the point. The point is we're supposed to have due process in this country. There's supposed to be a fair way to assess whether you should lose your home. And our society doesn't do that. We skip that part. My kid asked me in the car the other day, mommy, is every person, is every true homeless person on the side of the street homeless because they may, made poor decisions or is it because it was unfortunate luck? and he's 10. How would you answer that question? I think the question from your son is astute, especially for a 10 year old. And it's interesting in my own life, um, having had that discussion with myself, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma and a very conservative family. It was definitely a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of environment. And at 21 years old, I hadn't gone to college. Instead, I got married as we were apt to do in Oklahoma, had two kids and was working full-time at a company I thought I'd spend the rest of my career with. Uh, and unfortunately, they filed bankruptcy one day um, after someone at the top of the structure that I didn't even know committed bond fraud and laid off all 5,000 employees. That many people flooding a job market, I couldn't find work. Um, I was evicted from my home. Uh, I went bankrupt. 
and I found myself in a position where we sold everything we owned, uh, packed up our Honda Civic, and just drove to Dallas one day. I had the same discussion that your son had with you in my own mind, where I was thinking, what was the series of bad decisions that I made to get myself here in this position that I never thought that I would be in? So, so I think certainly, there's no question, there are people that are you know, in wherever they're at in life because they either worked hard or they didn't or whatever factor that you'd like to attribute that to. But there are a lot of people that just never had a chance. Can you talk a little bit about how this experience of yours has now translated to a lot of your involvement in homelessness initiatives within Dallas? You know, it's, it's always interesting when you're, when you're that person suffering, um, no one's really listening to you. You don't really have a voice, even if you're right. And so finding myself in the position that I'm in now, which is completely different than it was 20 years ago, uh, where I do have a voice and I do have some political influence and I can make people uh, make decisions in a way that I think are helpful for people that historically are voiceless. They have no control, they have no power. And unless somebody stands up who people are gonna to listen to and speaks on their behalf, um, the story is never gonna to get told in a way that people will hear it. Are you involved at all with any of the Haven for the Homeless or Haven for Hope from San Antonio in any of those initiatives bringing that to Dallas? Um, yes, and historically, it's kind of interesting, homelessness was not really on my radar. Okay. Um, I, I was always very interested in public education. This idea of Haven for the Homeless, actually I first saw it probably 15 years ago. Um, I was a professor at SMU at the business school and I took a bunch of students to San Antonio on a service trip. Seeing just this place where you have co-located all the services a homeless person would need. They don't have to Google it. They don't have to figure out mm -hmm. even what do I need? A lot of them don't even know what should I be looking for? I know. How can we bring something like that to Dallas? And so at this point, um, we have formed a nonprofit organization called Haven for the Homeless. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that part of it is underway. We're actively looking for real estate um, around Dallas County where we could put a facility like this, which is not a small feat. These are, this is a large facility. The one in San Antonio sits on 22 acres. Um, and maybe the one in Dallas would be even bigger. Uh, but we're beginning to have these conversations with the elected officials, um, with other leaders in the nonprofit you know, homelessness apparatus. Uh, to try and figure out what, what really are the gaps in our system of care here in Dallas and how do we fill them uh, in a way that makes it as easy as possible for these people to cross the bridge from point A to point B in a way that they can become productive citizens again. Because uh, 90% of these people are not chronically homeless. They just need a little bit of help, maybe a little job retraining, um, interventions that we could really do fairly cheaply um, and, and get them on their way. Have you any intel on the district that Adam Basadwa leads? Mm -hmm. I thought that there was some indication that he was going mm -hmm. to find a piece of land in his particular district. So I actually live in District 7. Oh, good! Yeah, I didn't so, realize that. So I am, I am okay. also a constituent okay. um, of Councilman Basildua. Okay. And, and we've had several conversations, and he is very supportive of, of this idea. 
And, and you have to keep in mind this, like a whole lot of other affordable housing initiatives and things like this, you run into a lot of opposition because everyone says, sure, that sounds great. We need that. Um, just nowhere near me, please. Right. And so I think that's part of the problems. And so it's going to require a whole lot of grit from our elected officials to stand up and say, it's got to be somewhere. And we're going to find a place that is the best suited to serve the mission. Uh, and you know, some people might not like it and that's okay, but it takes courage to lead and be a statesman and not just a politician. And I think, you know, he has expressed a lot of openness to being that leader yep. and to helping us. So we are looking at some um, spots in district seven. So it's still a work in process trying to identify how do you find a piece of land where you've got access to public transportation mm -hmm. so people can get there that's and not right. only get there, but a lot of these people are still working. They're just homeless. And so they need to be able to get from a shelter back to their job. Mm -hmm. um, so you need public transportation. Um, you need access to you know, other things that they would need to just get back on their feet. We don't want to put people 40 miles away and say, I hope you can find a job. How are they going to interview or show up or do things like that? It's, there has to be some proximity to you know, our economy and other parts of the society that we want them to integrate back into. Now there's this huge, I want to say, controversy around giving people money on the side of the street because they are supposed to actually go to these places which are there readily mm -hmm. available to help them. Should we be doing that giving money or should we say you need to go to this facility or here is how you can get help? It, it, it's such a good question, right? And, and the two schools of thought are Exactly. If you incentivize people to stay on the streets because they're making a living, will they go get the help that's available to them in a shelter? Uh, on the other hand, um, and this is another thing I like to tell people, before you think that thought, be ready to tell that person where the shelter is and how to get there. Uh, a lot of people use that mentality as an excuse to do nothing and quite frankly, to not care about it. Um, and everyone always thinks there's always someone out there that is doing this job. Someone is out there helping that group of people if they would just get that help that's available. And, and this is one of the things I've learned. This is why we have the Dallas Eviction Advocacy Center today is because that is a false premise. It's not true. There's not always someone out there that is doing the job and that is taking care of the problem or thinking about it holistically. In fact, a lot of times there's not. And so the way I always think about this personally, whether it's a con man or whether it's a single mom that truly needs some money for her kids, you'll never know the answer to that. That's right. And the only thing you can really judge yourself by is how did you respond, not right. how did they react to your response. The other thing that you know, a lot of these people really are craving uh, is human connection, yes. just to be recognized. Mm -hmm. And so when a homeless person you know, says, hey, do you have some change? You know, there is a tendency in a lot of people to just eye straight forward, pretend it didn't happen and walk to your car and close the door. Um, and maybe for certain people, I understand their safety concerns sure, yeah. with, with engaging <laughs> as like well. I'm like, I've done that before. Yeah, when I, yeah. I don't know. So, but for me, I'm, I'm a six foot safe. three man. And so I don't feel sure, like I, exactly, have, exactly. I don't have a safety concern. <laughs> that's right. That's in, right. In that. And so one of the things I always do, I will at least respond and say, yes. I'm sorry, I don't have any money. Mm -hmm. uh, just the acknowledgement of their humanity, I think, is something that a lot of us forget to do. Do you have any suggestions on how housing or rental laws should be changed? I have a lot of suggestions. 
Um, and I spent, Talk to. A, I spent a lot of time in Austin this spring <laughs> trying to um, uh, talk some other people into it mm -hmm. without much luck. I think some of the easier ones that are less controversial, okay. right? One of them is an expungement of an eviction record if you want. Right now, if someone sues you for eviction, even if you win as the tenant, it's on your permanent record. Really? Mm -hmm. And there's no legal process to have that expunged from your record, even if you won. Um, there's also, you know, we've, and we passed some of these rules in certain cities like San Antonio and even Dallas had an eviction uh, ordinance that required additional notices. You know, right now the process is I just have to give a tenant a 24 hour notice. And if they don't leave voluntarily by the next day, I can sue them for eviction. Um, so this process takes just a few weeks from first notice to this constable showing up and kicking them out. And it's my view, not that they should be able to sit there for six months, and people always say this, there's always some story about some guy who lived rent-free for 18 months. Uh, that is such a rare exception to the rule. Uh, and I have no pity for that landlord either because they could have gotten that person out of that house. If they were there for 18 months, uh, they, were doing sure. it, they were doing it wrong, mm -hmm. okay? So don't blame that on the yeah. system. Uh, but people should at least have enough time to get to their next paycheck to get caught up. Uh, or a few weeks to go hit up relatives or friends to borrow money, uh, or even in a worst case scenario, time to put their things in storage and find an alternative couch to sleep on so that their things aren't thrown into the street where they're all broken or stolen, or they lose their ID or a driver's license or social security card or birth certificate, all of the things. Uh, it's impossible almost to start over once that happens. I know right now the Dallas Capital Bond Program is something that is being talked about everywhere. The money earmarked specifically for affordable housing, addressing homelessness, has been now listed at what, 100 million? Yes, so the ask was 270 uh -huh. and it got cut to 100, 100 million by the bond task force. Mm -hmm. In a government system, it's really not very much money. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you can, you can buy this apartment complex right outside this window um, for $100 million, one of them. Mm -hmm. It's not going to solve the problem at scale. Okay. So what is your perspective on how these funds should be properly allocated and utilized? So part of you know any bond package has to be to incentivize the building of more units. We've got to increase the supply to stabilize the price. Uh, but that's, that's number one. Number two, we still have to deal with the people on the street. Um, even if we fix the affordable housing issue, there is still a certain segment of the population that, to my point earlier, are homeless today, right? That's right. They don't have four years for us to figure this out. That's they need exactly an intervention right now. My concern, yep. This is a pay me now or pay me later kind of a scenario. Yep. So we can either make appropriate investments to stabilize the low end of our population, mm -hmm. or we can spend $40,000 a year uh, to intervene when they're actually homeless and under a bridge. Not to mention dealing with all of the tent cities that are popping up around town. Those aren't just magically happening. They're the end of a pipeline of housing insecurity to homelessness. And we have not invested properly in addressing the early parts of the pipeline. And now you're starting to see the negative results of improper social investments. What charities right now do you think someone could give to that actually do provide a level of assistance that is the most impactful? Well, I think, you know, if we're talking about impact on the street right now, yep. um, you know, I think Family Gateway is one that 
that I've been really impressed with over the last four years, and we work with them on a fairly regular basis to rehouse and stabilize families. Uh, I think the Austin Street Shelter is another one that you know shows flexibility when okay. it's needed. I mean, your own nonprofit, right? Well, I thought that would go without saying <laughs> that I would support my. I'm like, my well, I am going to but, be the one. To but, but, <laughs> call attention to your own. I thought it might be a little on the nose. For no, me, but, it's not. But yes, we. We, we definitely will put all the money to good use. So if you're looking for stewardship and nonprofits, we're mm -hmm. a completely virtual organization. Uh, my wife and I lead the organization. We don't take one penny. Oh, I didn't of, realize she, she yep. also so she's the helps CEO. spearhead it. Great. So we, we take no compensation for our efforts um, to try and run this thing. Yep. So literally every dollar that comes into us goes out to pay the lawyers that are helping the people uh, and the things that they need to actually provide that help. So there's almost no overhead. That's incredible. Thank you for devoting your time to those who are truly in need. It, I wish there were more people like you. You're just a gift. We are at the Dallas Farmer's Market today. It's Friday, it's, I don't know, close to noon, about 11.30ish. There's some beautiful shops, beautiful eateries on the interior that I know you will love. The reason we chose the Dallas Farmer's Market today for the third segment is because it is a place where anyone and everyone feel comfortable. It's very Dallas, it's very Texas. Being in this getup with this awesome tractor right behind me couldn't be more perfect. Come with us. Okay, so we are buying frozen tamales. Shannon, yes. come with me. Okay, so you said you like buying what from here? I love buying State Fair of Texas t-shirts. From Bulls From Bulls yes. Okay. They have the best. Okay, so this is Shannon's favorite place to come when she's here. <laughs> we're waiting for the other stores to open. So we're gonna have a beer at what time? It's five o'clock somewhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not here. Okay, so we are directly across from the Texas Goods Company and coming to San Miguel's Exporta. I've been looking for some beautiful Mexican, Spanish influence type mugs. Look at this. 